BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. This week, I'm talking all things Donald Trump and his four indictments and what do they mean for the American public? What does it mean as we head into, you know, debate season? The Republicans are kicking off their debate season this week. Former President Donald Trump has already stated that he will not be in attendance. But before we get into the conversation, I want to welcome our guest this week. Her name is Lindsay Schubiner. She is the director of programs at Western States Strategies. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And before we get into this really juicy conversation, what is Western States Strategies and what do you guys do? Thank you. Yeah, we are a nonprofit working for inclusive democracy. And and part of that work is monitoring bigoted anti-democracy, white nationalist uh, movements and the ways that they're organizing to build power and the impact on communities and our our democracy and and our political system. All right. Well, thank you for your work. And it sounds like a lot considering there are so many anti-democracy things that are happening across the country these days. The thing that I want to talk about this week is Donald Trump. And he's also, I would say, engaged in some anti-democracy activities. As you may know, and many of our listeners may know, Donald Trump is set to turn himself in um, in Fulton County, Georgia, around his alleged attempt to overturn the Georgia 2020 election results. You know, we've heard the videotapes of him being on phone, asking for a few extra thousand votes, going into different campaign offices across the state looking for votes. And I really would like to just open up this conversation, Lindsay, by having you really kind of just explain to us, Donald Trump is facing his fourth indictment and his poll numbers are still relatively high, higher than all of his opponents, considering the legal challenges that he is deeply embroiled in. Could you help us make a little bit of sense of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a really important question to understand what's happening right now and what the future of of our democracy could potentially look like. You know, I think an important part of understanding this is uh, is Trump's attempt to stoke a backlash. And I think racist backlash to gains in rights and representation has been a part of American history for a long time. And so it's not surprising that Trump is mobilizing grievance politics to stoke this backlash. And, you know, we've seen him fundraise after uh, after each of the four indictments. And it's been reported that he's seen fundraising spikes uh, after both of the two indictments. So his efforts have been successful. And I think, you know, so far, 
he has been pretty effectively using disinformation to blunt the political effects of these indictments. And, and he's been doing so in a way that rallies support for a broader authoritarian ideology um, that he supports, right, in which in which power fully protects people from legal consequences and in, in which democratic institutions are are hollowed out and, and simply serve as tools for an authoritarian leader. So this his reaction to this to these indictments is is you know deeply aligned with um with bigoted and authoritarian ideologies and it's um it's not surprising that he's reacting in this way but it's it's very dangerous uh of course yeah and one of the things that you just said was disinformation one of the things that Donald Trump has done really since he's come into the political scene, since he came down that elevator, that infamous scene announcing that he was going to run for president, um, he continues to put out falsehoods. Some people might just call them lies. I think the sophisticated way is to say misinformation and disinformation. But his supporters seem to just grasp and hold on to his every word. There's this air of him being a criminal that people identify with. There's this air of authoritarianism that for some reason, again, people identify with those things. And that seems to be particular selling points. Um, when we have these two political parties in this country where we have one side constantly trying to um, rebuff the things that he's saying and he is in full acknowledgement that he can say anything and he will still enjoy wild support across this country. Why do you think that people identify with this criminal authoritarianism aspect of his personality? And how does that interplay into the policies that we saw him produce during his first term and what he could likely produce if he were to be successful in 2024? Yeah, that's such an important question. And I think it's so deeply related to mobilizing grievance and resentment. Uh, and a big part, you know, we've seen that in particular, Trump has support from people who perceive a loss of power or authority, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not that's true in reality. Right. has particular support among people who perceive that uh, that loss. And so, you know, I think he I think he plays into that a lot by by, you know, mobilizing resentment and, uh, you know, racism targeted towards um, people and institutions that represent, you know, progress in civil rights, include, you know, in increasing inclusion um of you know people of color lgbtq plus people um you know communities that have been historically marginalized into um our inst our democratic institutions and our politics and that's part of how he has you know tried to uh turn people against those institutions themselves mm -hmm. um and use you know grievance and resentment um at uh, you know, increasing inclusion in our in our politics for for his own political gain. It appears that voters across the country want 
to see a level of accountability when our elected officials behave or act improperly, even when their children do. So we're talking about the case of Hunter Biden, you know, with Joe Biden being the president. Um, And Donald Trump has made no qualms that he plans to, you know, use Hunter Biden as an attack when it comes to presidential debates or even just the way that he's going about his campaign. But for him, all of his illegal misdealings or, um, you know, actions and activities, he characterizes them as a witch hunt, as opposed to I've done something wrong. I should be held accountable and his supporters do. So we see the speaker of the house, Kevin McCarthy, We see Mitch McConnell, we see Lindsey Graham, we see all these folks really turned a blind eye or they're silent or they have little to say when it comes to Donald Trump, but they want to launch deep investigations into Hunter Biden. And so I'm asking about just democratic accountability. Um, For one side, you, you see the president, you know, stating that if his son has done something, he will be held, you know, in a court of law. But on the other side, it's being characterized as a witch hunt. So the narrative shifts from one party to the other. Yeah. And I think that's that's such an important thing to point out. And it's also aligned with what we see in authoritarian ideologies is that, you know, authoritarian leaders don't believe that the laws should apply equally to them but want to use them as a tool of power against other people and and for their own political aims. Um, so I see it less as a as a contradiction and uh, you know more as as very aligned with um, the future that Trump and you know I think a large portion of his party also, see for the United States, which is, uh, you know, not uh, not an inclusive democratic society with with equal rights under the law. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm curious as well. How do you think that this view of authoritarianism that Donald Trump embodies, how does it carry over into other candidates? Let's just use Governor Ron DeSantis. He's put out a number of anti discrimination, anti-race, anti-education bills across the state of Florida. And I don't know about you, but I'm afraid if he were to be elected because I absolutely know or believe that he would try and institute those things across the whole of America. And again, it's a small creep, right? So I want to be a little bit more edgy than Donald Trump. But for me, it comes across as a little bit more authoritarianism in the respects of the governorship. But this is someone who is absolutely intent on running for president. How does the character of Donald Trump play into these other candidates that are running for office for president on the GOP side? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really scary. And I think what we've seen DeSantis do is absolutely a part of normalizing those, you know, exclusionary uh, authoritarian anti-democracy moves and and laying the groundwork for for that to happen at the national level, as you pointed out. And, you know, I think what we saw even from the beginning of Trump's initial campaign is that he threw the door open uh, 
to bigoted and anti-democracy groups and um, said, you know, it's okay, welcome into, you know, mainstream politics in a way that, um, you know, they had been present before, but but not at the same, you know, level of acceptance. And so, you know, I think we've seen bigoted and anti-democracy groups take full advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, you know, other elected officials and and politicians also step through that and try to and and try to take take full advantage of uh, what of the approach that Trump has used, you know, mobilizing uh, racism and bigotry to build political power and and taking it even one step further. And I think it's, you know, the the book bans that we've seen, the attacks on libraries and schools, educational right. institutions, are, you know, are, are hallmarks of, of authoritarianism. And I think, you know, they are, you know, in some ways, small steps and in other ways, you know, pretty big swings at, you know, core democratic institutions and core community institutions where people, you know, gather and and institutions that are supposed to serve everyone in a community. And so, you know, working to attack those institutions and and hollow them out is is an attack on the, the core mission of those institutions. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the, the core commitments of an inclusive democracy. Yeah, I mean, the the way that I'm characterizing really what you're saying is the guardrails of democracy and how we protect those and how when they slowly chip and wither away, it does open up the door for all of these other things to to happen. And I'm thinking about one of the bills that, you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida recently signed into law around immigration, anti-immigration, um, essentially making it appear at least that if you identify as an immigrant, you have to have certain identification on, on you, on your person. And what does that mean when you're operating and living in a country and you're in fear of going to the gas station or being pulled over while you're driving? Or if you're a worker and your employer is being threatened um, with, you know, having someone walk on the job and demanding to see proper documentation so it, it doesn't just I think a lot of times we say, well, we're not that group. We other people and say, that's not us. It's not me. And so it's easy to dismiss it because we don't identify with those particular groups or identities. But it creeps into other areas of our lives. And that's where it begins outside of the group in itself. It also begins to endanger other communities. Absolutely. Right. I think, you know, what you're saying once is, you know, once we once we say it's acceptable to use these tools against one group, we we throw open the door to be for them to be used against all of us. And I think that recognition is is so important. Um, And I think, you know, what you're pointing to is is the chilling effect uh, that these, uh, you know, exclusionary laws and, and forms of repression have. And that's similar to what we see in terms of the effect of political violence and and racist violence, um, you know, and other forms of of hate violence from uh, from anti democracy groups that that Trump has been getting a lot of support from. Mm-hmm. Um, in that they're you know using these as tools to to chill participation in the democratic process, and that's you know that's as true for 
you know, for voting as it is for attending school board meetings, mm -hmm. as it is for, um, you know, even, you know, local elected officials and particularly women of color in, in local, you know, elected official positions who have been so significantly targeted with, um, with bigoted harassment and threats and violence that is, that seeks to push, push immigrants, push people of color, push LGBTQ plus people out of, um, out of partic full participation in, in our communities and in our democracy. That's really, that's really what's at stake here. Yeah. And, and speaking of political violence and racial violence, I think um, many people might characterize what happened on January the 6th, um, 2021 as political violence. It could be characterized as such, um, but also people would, there's an argument to be made about the um, BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement. I think people on the conservative side may see that as political violence. Um, if, if folks are out protesting, um, we also see a number of um, just criminality creeping in that's not necessarily associated with any particular party, but the way that we decriminalize um, low-level offenses, like breaking um, and stealing merchandise from a Walgreens or a department store, all of these have been used um, as political fodder on both sides, quite frankly. Um, and I think that that's something that we'll see how crime and punishment really plays into this next election. But my question for you is, how do you think that this political violence, racial violence, the uptick in just crime and theft will take center stage, particularly as we're entering into the Republican debates? Yeah, I, you know, I fully expect messages about uh, about crime and uh, you know encouraging um punishment for for low level offenses to to be a part of the narrative that we see um uh you know in the republican party and among republican candidates um and i think that goes along you know very much with what we were just talking about in terms of authoritarianism where trump doesn't want the law to be applied to him um but will absolutely use it as a as a tool of power and and building political support to um wield it uh against uh, you know people who he deems as 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 not supporting him politically as, as his political opponents including you know entire communities that have already faced um you know a lot of criminalization in the in the past right criminalization d distinguishing criminalization from um crimes and, mm -hmm. and rule of law, which I think is is an important you know piece of what we're talking about. So should we, thinking about what you just said, should we look at how the GOP views anti-democracy? We see, you know, down in, in Tennessee where two lawmakers were recently expelled and then reinstated, but there's a special session that is happening in the state and people are being removed from committee hearings for peacefully protesting with signs, not bullhorns, not being disruptive, being disruptive, but sitting in seats with signs and GOP lawmakers in the state who are in the majority are removing them. 
in attempts to silence them. And so when I think about the anti-democracy, a place where all people are welcomed, I don't think about the GOP because they continue to do things to silence people and they continue to support someone who is in favor of those type of antics. And so as I'm looking at the landscape of all the candidates that are running for president on the GOP side, I can't help but wonder which of them will really be the, is there any one person that stands out who might speak up for democracy as we know it? Or will all of them cater to this Trump way of life and of political thinking? Yeah, I think unfortunately it's it's hard to understate the impact that that Trump and his ideology have have had on the Republican Party, and I think we've seen with you know the, the few Republicans who who supported, for instance, the January sixth committee and and the investigation, right. of, you know, this attempt to overthrow democracy, how that played out inside the Republican Party and the and the relatively low level of support that they that they got for taking that kind of of risk. So, you know, I think it's um it's not good news for our democracy, but I do think that these indictments are good news for our democracy, right? To to bring it it back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um it would be it would be easy to say that, you know, because Trump has, you know, raised money off of the indictments or used it in a political way and has sought to, you know, has used it, it, it to, to further disinformation and to and to continue building his political power, that it that it was that these were are, you know, are not effective tools for for defending democracy and enforcing sort of, you know, equal accountability under the law. And um, you know, I think that's I think that's not the case. I think these indictments are crucial parts of uh, defending democracy from, you know, authoritarian attempts to to undermine it, to overthrow a, a democratic election. Um, and, you know, I think what we're seeing is is the kind of backlash that we should fully expect. Um, uh, not not something that means that that these aren't you know effective tools i think you know the the threat to democracy is still really significant um mm-hmm. and the indictment sig- signal consequences for trump's you know alleged attempt to overturn the will of the voters but we still don't know if he will in fact face these consequences right legally I think that's a really important question here and and uh, you know the way that these indictments play out over the coming months will tell us a lot about the future of democracy what do you say to people in z who say well yes this is his fourth indictment but he's still not in jail i'm waiting to see him do time or you know be disqualified for running for president what do you say to people who say yes he's in legal trouble we see it over and over but until something happens, there's a negative impact on his ability to either run for office or do business or serve time. It does feel like it's just things being thrown at him and nothing happening actually to him. What do you say? How do we respond to all of the indictments and just people who are listening and watching and really don't see or don't feel like there's real action that is taking place? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. As much as these indictments are an important step, uh, you know, as are the other legal consequences for people who participated in in you know the January sixth insurrection. Um, a lot remains to be seen about how effective it will be ultimately. I think it's a it's a very open question what will happen in the future of our democracy and and what happens with these indictments is a is an important part of this story and and you know frankly it's um it's pretty scary to think about the potential for uh you know trump to have played you know allegedly such a crucial role in in the insurrection and and we don't know if he will you know go to jail or face you know real legal consequences you know despite this attempt to um to hold him accountable um you know i think uh, there's a big question about about the impact that this will have on uh, on the future of our democracy, given that that you know Trump has continued to make false claims that that undermine the legitimacy of our democracy and our legal system for his for his supporters. You know, I think what we what we don't want is for his example to become the norm, mm-hmm. um, and he is very much seeking to normalize uh, you know an approach to legal consequences that that um, undermines the legitimacy of of, you know, our our democratic legal system. Wow. Well, that that definitely leaves a lot to um, be discovered as we continue to watch what is happening, um, particularly with these cases. Um, Like I said at the beginning, he is due to turn himself in this week in Fulton County, Georgia, um, where the DA Fannie Willis has brought forth not only these indictments, but a RICO case against him and other co-defendants. Um, and before we go, I'd really love for you to just touch on how the other 18 people involved in the Georgia case, what does that mean for a level of accountability? We haven't seen that. Maybe we've seen one or two people. Let me let me correct. Maybe we've seen one or two people in other cases where he's involved, particularly in in um, Florida with the FBI, or not the FBI, but the documents um, that he allegedly declassified. But what does it mean that um, the DA in Georgia has brought forth um, charges against 18 other people who likely participated in this, you know, anti-election scheme in Georgia. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's really important to have, you know, full legal consequences for everyone who participated. Absolutely. And I think, it, yeah, that that sends an important sign, uh, signal, as as does the, you know, legal, um, as do the prosecutions of other participants in the election, like, you know, Oath Keeper leader Stuart Rhodes and, mm-hmm. and Proud Boys who who are in fact facing jail. I, I think that's that's an important part of the story as well and and helps um, you know, illustrate the extent of um uh, you know, the extent of the the political and anti-democracy actors who 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 partic- participated in this this attempt to to overturn democracy? Um, you know, I think it's important that you know the normalization of authoritarian views and political violence and in mainstream politics is 
is deeply connected to to threats to our democracy from white nationalism and and other bigoted and anti-democracy social movements that are promoting hate violence and bigoted conspiracy theories and dis disinformation um uh, and normalizing these things and you know these uh you know legal uh, you know attempts to use our our legal system to hold people accountable who are engaging in in attacks on our democracy is an important part of rejecting that normalization um, and that needs to be happen happening at every level with with people in our communities with our local elected officials speaking out for inclusive democracy and rejecting attempts to use um bigoted violence and political violence and threats and harassment to achieve political goals and and speaking out to you know reject um uh you know political embraces of of authoritarianism in in the united states yeah, that's um that's a really good kind of synopsis of of what these indictments mean, not only for Donald Trump but for anyone who's associated with him or and even folks who are currently working on his current campaign and what it could mean for their future moving forward. I think many of these folks that were named in in the latest indictment were people that I quite frankly didn't think of or even see coming. Um but it's not just guilty by association, it's guilty by act as well. And I'm I'm happy that people realize that it's not just him because there are an enablers. There are people who make the things that he's done and continues to do possible by association, by advice, um, by participation. Um, and until those folks are too held accountable, then Donald Trump will continue to feel like he's untouchable. Um, is there anything we should be on the lookout for as we're continuing to watch these indictments unfold in the coming months and as we head into 2024? Yeah, I I would look at uh, the narratives that Trump continues to promote and um, and look at how he's um, you know relying on on bigotry and and authoritarian tropes and I would I would look at how people are speaking up against that, right? I think the flip side of what you said uh, about, you know, all of these collaborators is that it also shows that, you know, many of us, any individual can also refuse to do that, mm -hmm. can also say, I, you know, I reject this and I, I, I believe in inclusive democracy and I won't stand for, uh, you know, the chilling effect that, that this has, uh, you know, on our communities by supporting, you know, local schools and, and, you know, inclusionary education. And, um, I think we have seen a, an enormous rise in, in people speaking out for democracy. And so I would also, over the coming months, look out for that. And, and that will tell us a lot about, uh, about our future as well. Well, thank you so much. Again, this has been Lindsay Schubiner with the Western States Strategies. She's the director of programs. So thank you so much for spending a little time breaking down how these indictments surrounding Donald Trump and the GOP's anti-democracy efforts really are affecting the political landscape right now. So I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to speak with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
to The Crystal Night Show.